Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast from San Jacinto Assembly of God in Amarillo, Texas. If you'd like to know more about our church, visit us online at www.sjag.church. Now here's this week's message. Second Chronicles chapter 7. Verse 13 and 14. Pastor, thank you for allowing me to be here. I appreciate your pastor. Uh, I love his fellowship. Uh, I know uh, I'm going to get sharper uh, today because iron sharpens iron. When I'm around Brother Billy, I get better, and I know you do too. He's a gift given to all of us. Praise the Lord. Second Chronicles 7, 13 and 14. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain. Everybody say no rain. If I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Father God, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for the anointing that destroys every yoke of bondage. We declare that this is the place of freedom. There is no bondage here today, but Lord, we are here to lift you up that all men might be drawn unto you, and we thank you for the gifts of the Spirit that are in operation that uh, we may profit by their manifestation. Lord, that I may speak and minister with the ability that you give. We need your help today. Have mercy on us. Let there be conviction in the house to bring men and women to Jesus and boys and girls. We thank you for that today in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Everybody tell your neighbor right now, I see great things coming your way. It's inevitable. Come on. Somebody tell somebody, I see great things coming your way. It's inevitable. Hallelujah. Somebody booby trapped me up here. You can be seated. All right. It's a good thing we're not, not on the good new carpet. I'd already have some fiery darts at me if I'd have stepped on a communion cup, but I don't know, you know who stuck it under my feet, but somebody did. They ought to know that evangelists going to walk a little bit, right? Hallelujah. But you know, I've read my Bible through many, many times, and it never fails that when I read it again, I find something I had not seen before. I have preached out of Second Chronicles uh, uh, seven fourteen. If my people, which are called by my name, I use that passage many times, but somehow I missed the verse in front of it. And uh, I read the verse in front of it. It says, "If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain." How many know that when there is no rain, when the rain supply is cut off, we have a drought. And uh, you're familiar with drought in Amarillo. You're familiar with drought in West Texas, but the truth is there's a scale of drought. It begins with abnormally dry, moderate dry, severe drought, extreme drought, and then finally exceptional drought. And really a drought is drier than normal conditions, moisture deficit, a prolonged dry period, a shortage of water. Now, I'm here to say that uh, I'm going to talk about drought a little bit, but in the 1930s, I was not around at that time. I know Pastor was, but I wasn't. (laughs) And uh, in 1930 to 1936, there was what they called the Dust Bowl. 
And it was really the most, uh, uh, or thought of as the worst prolonged disaster of history. It was a time when there was no rain, and we even know that today in farms in Oklahoma and Texas and Kansas and uh, southern Colorado, we uh, uh, now make terraces so that when the wind blows, it doesn't blow away the topsoil and and all the different things. We've tried to make some uh, uh, room for that, but it brought about something that happened. That Dust Bowl brought about in history, what they called the Great Depression. And the Great Depression, I'm thinking about that today because it makes me wonder the drought that we're seeing in church. Although we're seeing an awakening here and a little awakening there, I'm asking today, what about with you? What is the condition that you're in? And I see a lot of people that have been in days of drought. And when I see so many people in the church with a massive amount of depression they're dealing with, I wonder if it could be dealt with if we just had a revival. The dust bowl caused the erosion of the soil, and the drought that we're seeing in the church has caused an erosion of moral values, mental health erosion, erosion of family values. I'm saying today, let's have a revival. Let's have a revival. Just as the rain is the only cure for a drought, revival is our only hope for the current famine of faith that is in this world. If we fail to have revival, it could be considered the worst prolonged disaster of church history. We need a revival. How many would agree that we are in revival deficit? We are in a drought. We heard about the awakening that seemed to take place at Asbury College, and we're hearing about some things happening here and there, and I'm telling you, I believe that there's something getting ready to happen in the last days, Jesus said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. I had somebody tell me the other day, but the Bible says uh, that there will be a falling away in the last days. Well, that is true, but the truth is today you can make a choice whether you're in revival or when you're, or you're going to be in the falling away. I choose to be in revival. I read in Pew Research It said this, Christianity is quickly diminishing in the United States. It's on pace to become a minority religion in decades. This is what they are predicting. But I'm here to tell you, I don't know, but I see something. We are on a drought scale in the church. And individually, we are on that scale. Some of us are abnormally dry. Some of us are moderate dry. Some of us are in severe drought. Others of us are in extreme drought. Others of us are in exceptional drought. And I ask you, when the last time you came into church that you sensed the power of God was all over you. When was the last time? When was the last time uh, out of your belly flowed rivers of living water? When was the last time uh, that uh, rain from heaven came down upon you personally? I know that some of us, we like to watch others get rained upon, but it is time that we have the rain of God upon ourselves. We read in 2 Chronicles 7.14, if my people, which are called by my name, We find that this is a contract between God and us. 
This is what God will do if we will do our part. Now, I have signed a few contracts in my life for houses and cars. And, and uh, I will tell you, I remember when I was youth pastor, I signed a contract at Gold's Gym. I was going to get buff. And I became buffet. How many know what I'm saying? But I signed a contract, and I'm going to tell you, whether I went or not, I had to pay the bill. And uh, I will tell you, it was very difficult because I was only making $250 a week as youth pastor, and, and I had to pay my rent, which was over $400, and I had a, a little car payment on top of that. And I'm going to tell you, I was out of money every week by Thursday. I got paid on Sunday. I ran out. I was just praying that somebody would take me out to lunch uh, on those other days. How many know what I'm saying? But I still had to pay Gold's Gym because I was under contract. They would not let you out of it. And I'm going to tell you something. The contract that we want to see, we want God to move. The, the contract that we read that we will hear from heaven and he'll heal our land, it's between us and God. He tells us what he will do if we will do our part. But we live in a day where we do not like uh, to be told we're responsible for anything. We live in a day where we like to tell, well, that, they're the reason. They did it to me. You know, she skied into me. Anybody watch that this week a little bit? I thought that's the most, we wasted more of our tax dollars in the courtroom this week than you can shake a stick at. Skiing is dangerous. Get out of the way. Be glad I wasn't on the jury. It would happened a lot quicker. But listen, we live in a day we don't like to be told that we're responsible for anything. We live in a day that people get upset over everything. And we no longer believe uh, when somebody tells us that we've got a part to do. Uh, we don't like to hear that because uh, that uh, brings conviction. And we don't really like conviction. We now it called, uh, call it, I'm offended instead of conviction. But I'm praying that conviction comes in the house of God today and that you will not be offended. Psalm 119 verse 165 says, Great peace have they that love thy law and nothing shall offend them. So I'm praying that you love the word of God and let conviction flow in your heart and when we do our part, God will do his part. So we replaced convicted me with offended me. Why are we living in that day? I say like all the promises of God, this rain, the revival, or the move of God is conditional. If we meet the requirements, He will do His part when we do our part. And the problem is when we make it somebody else's problem. If uh, Oliver would just sing what I like, if the preacher just preach out of my favorite passage, if, if we would uh, ha uh, do the things that I like, and we talk about what blesses us, but I'm telling you, we are personally responsible for the lack of rain, and likewise, we're responsible for making the conditions favorable for the rain. Notice it says, if my people. It doesn't say when we get the president you like, we'll have revival. 
doesn't say when uh, the Congress and Senate get their acts together, we'll have a move of God. I've got news for you. I've been voting about 40-some years now, and I will tell you the Senate and Congress have never got their act together, so I'm not waiting on them to get their act together. I'm going to get my act together, and then he said, when I do, you'll hear from heaven. Somebody said, well, when our schools start teaching our kids what we think they should, we'll have revival. When we stop letting transgenders lead story hour at the library, we'll have a revival. No, he said, when my people and then the rain will come. So you and I, we are responsible. We want to blame the world why we're not having revival. It's got to be Hollywood's the problem. It's got to be Netflix's the problem. It's got to be Amazon's the problem. I'm here to say we are responsible and some people say well revival it will not work today you cannot have a revival you cannot have a move of God you can't have it uh, in the spring because it's too windy you can't have it in the summer because it's too hot you can't have it in the fall because it's too beautiful you can't have it in the winter it's too cold and they will come up with every excuse and they say we cannot have a revival no one will wants a move of God, but all you're saying is you are unwilling to meet the conditions. There are conditions for God to move upon us. Number one, he said, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves, or I simply say it like this, I surrender all. I surrender all. Now listen to me. Listen, I believe that we have me and bring me down to the altar and shove my head into that altar bench and she would pray and I could hear those old ladies praying for me. They'd say, yield, son, yield. And that always threw me off because I was about 15 and a half when I took uh, driver's education and yield meant proceed with caution. So here she is shoving my face into the altar bench saying, proceed with caution. I didn't understand what that meant. I didn't understand how I'm going to get closer to God, proceeding with caution. Folks, I think some people do that now. I don't know, but I, I don't think you need to proceed with caution. Are you understanding me? Some of you come to church, and uh, I, now, I don't know how to reconcile this, but my dad pastored First Assembly of God in Woodward, Oklahoma, and, uh, you know, back in those days, uh, I don't know how they let me, but I was a lifeguard, okay? Some of you will understand that. We didn't even hardly believe in swimming, right, because we called it mixed bathing, but you know what? My dad came from Ohio, so Ohio, the district campgrounds, had a pool back in 1940s. Okay, came to Oklahoma, it was a sin to swim because you didn't have any water. If you had water, they wouldn't have called it a sin. Okay, so how many know we had a lot of things? We'd, we'd see films, but we didn't see movies you know, and get their hair, hair done, and she had it up real big, and it looked like it was all fixed, and she's out there, and she'd get in the real shallow part of the swimming pool, down in the two-foot end, and she's just looking around, and, and she's not wanting to get her hair wet. Well, I'm thinking if you come to the pool, you need to get ready to get wet. 
I'd get all the grade school kids I could find. I'd say, hey, go get all your friends. And see that lady with the big hair over there? I said, I don't know why she's at the pool if she doesn't want to get wet, but go over there and have a big old splash fight and get her all wet. Uh, and because I'm telling you, that's how I believe it should be in church. Some of you come and you don't want to get anything from God, but we've already prayed over this place. We're believing uh, that some people come in here that don't want to get wet. They're going to get wet with the power of God, the power of God's going to hit you. That's what God does. That's mercy. We got to get to the place we say, I surrender all. Yield. Let's look at that word. You know, I was in Jamaica. I was preaching there, and they have roundabouts a lot in Jamaica. I know we're starting to do it in America, but it's probably because some politician wants to pay his brother-in-law to put in some concrete. Some of you will catch that later. You can tell what I like, all right? Anyway, but we have those roundabouts, and I, I don't understand them, all right? I don't even know what to do, but we have yield signs in them. I was in Paris preaching one time, and they have a roundabout there with 12 lanes around it. And I said to the taxi driver, I said, do you ever have any accidents? He said, never. I said, you guys getting in fights? I said, he said, never. I said, in Oklahoma, we'd be shooting each other in this thing. But the roundabout in Jamaica doesn't say yield. All those are, there's a yield sign. It's a triangular sign set on its tip. But it doesn't say yield. It says give way. I think somehow, folks, if we began to give way, then we would hear from heaven. We give way to God. Whatever he says do, whatever he wants to do, I'm, I've got to get to that point that I surrender all and I give way to God. There was a revival that came in uh, Wales. 1904-1905, and uh, there was a young man that was used by God in that revival. His name was Evan Roberts. Now, Evan Roberts had no formal uh, uh, education as far as uh, being in the ministry. He wanted to be a preacher, and he came to his pastor, and he said, Pastor, I have a word from God. I'd like to preach to the congregation. The pastor said, here's what we'll do. We'll have church, and when it's over, we'll dismiss, but anybody that wants to hear you... And we'll stay, we'll let them hear you when church is over. Pretty smart pastor. I kind of like that, all right? And uh, that young man stayed and preached. And he preached, and it started a revival. And uh, they said that the revival, uh, somewhere over 250,000 people came to the Lord Jesus, that's 10% of the population. What would happen if we had a revival and 10% of the population got saved in Amarillo? It'd be a great move of God. But something happened. Uh, crime was reduced to nothing. They didn't have to, uh, uh, you know, uh, quit paying the police, defund the police. Uh, the police had nothing to do. You know, Austin's finding out defunding the police doesn't work too good. You know, I don't know how California got into Texas, but we need to kick California out. Oh, okay. I just thought I'd tell you that. Now, you say, I don't know, you know, if you came here from California, well, quit voting like you did in California and vote like a Texan. Somebody say amen. I, I, I just went from preaching to meddling, didn't I? <laughs> now, in that revival, the half-full churches became overflowing. The bars that were full became empty. 
You think about this. The, the, the miners, the coal miners were known to be drinking men and, and foul mouths. To get the coal out of the coal mine, they had mules. The mules, that, that you would hit them and cuss at them to get them to move. After the revival, the mules quit doing the work because the miners refused to cuss. Now that's some good preaching. When I come to Christ, old things pass away, all things become new. I don't talk the way I used to. I don't live the way I used to. I'm telling you, that's the kind of problems that we need to have once again. But this revival that took place, you'll find uh, that even years later, there was an 80% retention rate of those that got saved. Now, that's a great revival. But the sermon this young man preached was this. He said, number one, confess any known sin to God and put away any wrong done to others. If we would begin that way, yield, give way to God, confess any known sin to God, and put away any wrong to others, something would begin happening. He said, put away any doubtful habit. I mean, no doubtful means uncertain. You realize that today we have church people that want to look so much like the world, they'll do everything they can. Can I, where is the line that I can get to and still be saved? And I find that there's some things that they'll say, well, I don't see it saying thou shalt not in the Bible. I'm telling you, we need to get back to the place that if it's doubtful, if it's something that might cause somebody to stumble, we need to stop doing it because I'm telling you, I don't want to see how far away I can get from God, but I want to see how close I I can get to him in these days. The third thing, it said, obey the Holy Spirit promptly. Confess Christ openly and admit your sins. And they had revival off of that one little simple sermon. See, sometimes we think we got to have something so profound, but I think many times it's really just give ourselves to God. I surrender all. There's a little spoof off that song that came out a few years ago, I surrender some. I think most of us are more like that than I surrender all. Number two, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. You know the simple definition of prayer is we talk to God. That's it. We talk to God. And I think we need to get to the place we quit complaining and calling that prayer. I've done it many times myself. Drive down the road and say, God, I don't like this. And, I don't, and that's not prayer. It's when you talk to God and He talks to you. But we need to get to the place we begin to pray, Lord, revive us again. We need to fight spiritually like never before in supernatural prayer in the altars and during worship uh, service. We need to pray. We need to pray for our families. We need to pray for our loved ones. We need to pray for our boss. We we need to pray for our neighbors. We need to pray that none would perish, but all would come to repentance, that God would send labors into the harvest, that God would use us to be a light that shines in darkness, that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Listen. I'm going to give you a prophetic word uh, that you need to hear today. Church attendance in the coming days will be like medicine for all things. See, we came through a period of three years where people thought they could do without church and they could get by without it. And people have thought, well, I, I, I don't know. I, I've got all these things. But I believe in the coming days that church attendance will be the medicine for all things, for the trouble for your family. That church attendance will be the medicine for the sickness in your body 
body. Church attendance will be the medicine for the trouble in your mind. Church attendance will be the medicine. You say, I don't know what you're talking about, preacher. I'm telling you, there's something about coming together in the house of God that when I join my anointing with your anointing, something great happens. Listen, I'm going to stop right here. The Lord gave me a word for you when you walked in. When you walked in today, the Spirit of God changed. The atmosphere changed. There's an anointing on your life, and I don't think you understand the anointing that's on your life, but it changed the atmosphere in this building, and I want you to know that it's going to begin to change things in people's lives that have been very distant, and they've been very hard to deal with, and they've been very obstinate to the gospel, but when you open up your mouth, and even just your presence is going to change the atmosphere. He's putting something heavy on you, but I think you got it in you to make it work. Somebody say amen today. I just thought I'd better give it just in case I forgot. How many know the Lord gave it to me when she walked in, but I just felt like I was going to wait. How many know the Lord will give you what you need? That was encouraging to me. I hope you took it as encouragement. There's greater things coming. There's greater things coming. Somebody lift up your hands right now. Somebody lift up your hands right now. I believe it in the name of Jesus. Let the atmosphere change. Let the atmosphere change. Let the atmosphere change. See, I'm saying as Christians, we need to wake up and we need to shake ourselves this morning. We need to wake up and shake ourselves this morning. How many believe that? In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Listen to me today. How many know that we sometimes think, well, you know, if God wants us to have revival, he'll give us revival. How many understand God will never give you what you don't ask for? He said, you have not because you ask not. We need to begin to ask for a move of God. We need to begin to ask. Uh, we need to ask, pray, uh, because we're told to pray without ceasing. Pray because our great example, Jesus prayed. Pray for forgiveness. I'm believing that once again, uh, the church, somebody in church gets a burden to pray for revival. But listen, with that being said, if prayer was all we needed, then every church that has two old grandmas praying for the last 50 years we would have had revival so what is it faith without works is dead get ready for revival get ready for a move of God listen when we won't have church for any excuse you're not expecting revival we want revival we don't expect it we're not expecting uh, anything to happen we don't have uh, discipleship material ready we don't have our parking ready we don't have all these things ready we need to get ready for what God has what would you do if you had an increase of 200 people? What would you do? Do you have 200 more chairs? Get ready, folks. Come on. When you expect rain, you get ready. You get an umbrella. I was in a store the other day, and a lady walked in. She said, I'm going to New York City. She said, and the, the weather report said it's going to rain the whole time we're there, and we got to walk. She says, you have any clothes for the rain? She was looking for a raincoat. She wanted to wear appropriate clothes. I'm telling you, I believe we need to prepare and be prepared for what God is getting ready to do. I'm telling you, in these days, like Cornelius, your prayers will be a way that God remembers you. We saw America pray on a national level when DeMar Hamlin actually died on the NFL football field. He was dead for over 10 minutes when people began to pray. You said, well, that was a coincidence. It's 
funny how coincidences stop happening when we stop praying. And you see that it, uh, it tells me that in America we believe in praying when there's an emergency, but we don't really like preventative prayer because when Tim Tebow prayed, we strung him out to dry, uh, to die. But I'm here to tell you something. I believe uh, uh, there's something about that. It's because when Tim prayed, it brought conviction. See, this week we found out, you know, at the shooting at the school, when it happens to Christians that pray, it doesn't matter because those people, uh, the transgenders, are more important than a Christian. I'm here to tell you that God so loved the world, whether you're transgender, whether you're homosexual, lesbian, or you are heterosexual, God loves you and sent His Son to die for all of our sin. If you believe it, somebody say amen. Let's keep praying in emergencies, but let's pray before emergencies come. Let's once again be people of prayer. How many believe that? How many believe that? How many believe that? Listen, I'm going to skip down here real quick, but I believe we need to understand uh, that we need to seek His face. There's something about call upon Him and He may be found. But then I'm going to go right here to the last one, repent. Turn from your wicked ways. So we married an important day, but I don't think it's the most important day of my life. The most important day of my life is when I stand before God. Now, there's some other good days, and there's some bad days. Funerals aren't always good days. They're good for the one that went to be with Jesus. But we heard on this side, but that makes us, we comfort one another with the words that he's coming soon. How many know he's coming soon? When that trumpet sounds and the shout goes up, the dead in Christ will rise, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. That's the only thing. When we got a loved one that dies, we know we're going to meet him one day in the air if we're ready. But listen, we also going to stand before God. The Bible says, see, in America, you never know what's going to happen with judges. Some of them will send people away for too long. Some of them will send people away for too short. Sometimes people get by scot-free. Sometimes people get it more than they deserve. Are you understanding me? And in these days, depends on what side you're on, how it works out. But I'm going to tell you, it's not going to be that way when you stand before God. Every one of us will get what's coming to us. See, some people are getting by scot-free. I can name off politicians' kids getting off scot-free. But one day we'll all give an account of ourselves, me and you included. The hidden things are going to come out. The, the things that we think nobody knows about, the things that you think your wife doesn't know about, I'm telling you, your wife knows more than she's telling she may not know everything God knows, but I'm going to tell you, one day we'll stand before God. And I'm going to tell you, you know what's going to happen when we stand before God? There's not going to be a chance to repent. You only have a chance to repent before you stand before God. A lot of people say, well, I'm going to put it off. I'm going to put it off. The most important day of your life, and yet most of us Say, well, what would my family think? What would my friends think? What would my neighbors think? What would, the, what would my classmates think? What would my coworkers think? Why are you living for them? 
I found out a long time ago the most important day of my life is when I stand before God. So I don't really care what everybody else thinks. I'm not living for them. I'm living for God. So let me ask you this today before I go any further. If this was your most important day of your life, standing before God, how would it be? What would he say to you? Would you go in there prepared or are you going unprepared? You know, when we go to the doctor, we have an appointment. Sometimes you do blood work. They say don't need anything after midnight. You have to prepare. Fill out the paperwork for the insurance company before you get there. You got an appointment at the car dealership. You work it out. Somebody has to pick you up and bring you back, or you have to work out a loaner car, whatever it might be. But somehow for the most important day of our life, some of us are leaving it to chance like you're at the casino in Oklahoma. What's it going to be like when you stand before God? Everybody stand to your feet in this place. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and I want you to check yourself. Take inventory of your life. See, I'm not asking what you did in the past. I'm not asking what you plan to do in the future. I'm not asking you to join this church. I'm not asking you to know how to pray. I'm not asking you to shake my hand. I'm asking about the most important day of your life when you stand before God. If it was right now, are you ready to meet him? If you got sin in your life, you're not ready to meet him. If you got disobedience in any area of your life, you're not ready. You're not going to be able to have an excuse and say, well, I didn't have a chance. He'll say, well, what about that preacher from Oklahoma that came in there and he rubbed your cat the wrong way a little bit? You remember him? He said, I gave you an opportunity. There's mercy here today. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, I want you to answer this, and I'm going to ask a little backwards, so pay very close attention to me today. I'm going to ask a little backwards. Some of you have been in thousands of altar calls, and you begin to tune out as soon as the preacher gives one. But today, I want you to pay close attention. How many would say beyond a shadow of a doubt, 100%, not 98 or 99% sure. If you're only 98 or 99% sure, I say you're 100% lost. 1 John 5, 13 says you can know you have eternal life. Luke 10 says you can know your name is written in heaven. Romans 8 would say you can know you're a child of God today. Listen to me. How many would say beyond a shadow of a doubt, preacher, I'm 100% sure if this were my appointment with God, my most important appointment, I know I'm ready to meet God beyond a shadow of a doubt. If that's you, would you lift up your hand in the air and leave it up just for a moment? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. No one looking around. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Hallelujah. No one looking around. If you, got your, if you don't have your hand up, I'm just assuming you're not where you should be. There's many hands raised and many not. You can put your hands down. In both sections... Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I saw people that could not raise their hand, and I saw people that did. I honor you for being honest. But I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to take some guts and some courage. 
Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. Jesus said, if you deny me, I will deny you. But then he went on with words of mercy. He that comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. As Oliver begins to play something appropriate, if you could not raise your hand today, say, preacher, I'm 100% sure, but I, I, I'm not 100% sure today, but I, and I didn't raise my hand, but I need a fresh start. I need a new beginning, preacher. I need a fresh start. I need a new beginning. See, and today we're going to repent. Some people say repentance not in the Bible. John preached it. Peter preached it. Jesus preached it. The book of Revelation, he told all the churches to repent except for one. Are you hearing me? Repentance is in the Bible. Repent is I have a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction. By stepping out of your seat, you're saying, I need a fresh start, a new beginning. I'm, I, need a, uh, I, I need a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction today. I want you to get some courage. There's some young people that need to come. There's a husband and wife. You need to come. I want you to come and stand here right here in the front right now. Quickly, come on. Don't hesitate a second. Step out of the aisle and come right now. Come on, quickly. You're just saying, I need a fresh start. I need a new beginning. Come stand with me right here. Come on. This is the place. I honor you for coming. Come on, there's some others that need to come. You say, what will people think? I have a position in the church. It doesn't matter. I didn't ask that. What will my wife think? It does, she already knows. Come on. What will my pastor think? He's going to think, man, thank the Lord for the mercy of God. Is there anybody else that will come today? Come on, get some courage and come. Somebody else. I think we got about five or six more people need to quickly come. Come on. I'm not going to wait a lot longer, but I, I, I think you need to come today. I cut my sermon a little short today because I want somebody to touch God today. I'm going to wait about ten more seconds. Listen, how many in your seat? Everybody that's here, I want everybody to step up. Just get as close to that altar as they can. I'm going to pray with you, but I want some room behind you. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. How many in your seat would say, Preacher, if I'm honest, I've been through a little dry spell, a little drought. Maybe it's been a while since it rained on you and your family. Maybe it's been a little while since you felt the showers from heaven, the living water gushing out of your innermost being. How many would be honest enough to say, Preacher, I'm just looking for revival. I've, I've been in a little drought, but I'm believing the Lord today as I come to Him, uh, humbly come to Him. I give way to God right now. If that's you, join in behind these that are already here. It's been just a little dry, and I'm believing for an outpouring of the Spirit in my life. I'm believing for revival for my family. I'm believing for a breakthrough. Come on. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Just like we have dry periods in West Texas, I'm telling you, sometimes we have it in our life, but we got to make ourselves available for the rain to flow again. Come on. Anyone else would come. 